0: This episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast is brought to you by my friend James Bean and SeedsHereNow.com. SeedsHereNow.com is the number one source for high quality seeds with a money back guarantee and lightning fast shipping. With monthly sales, James Bean's pocket full of freebies and easy credit card payments, you cannot beat SeedsHereNow.com. To catch the latest drops from your favorite breeders, check out SeedsHereNow.com today. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Podcast World. I'm your host. My friends call me Rasta Jeff. This is episode 781 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about selecting male plants for breeding. We might touch on selecting plants for reversals. Before we get to that part of the show, let's do a few shout outs to a few of those great folks who continue to support the show on Patreon. Let's kick it off with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to Growing Old Man Style. Let's send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Guido's Grow Room and All Mixed Up. Let's send a big old thank you shout out to Growing Tennessee and F A Plant Count. I want to send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Roll This Nug and Randy Farms. Let's send a big thank you shout out to Mid Michigan Micro Grow. I want to send a big thank you shout out to Captain Luke DeCarb. Let's send a thank you shout out to Curbside Gardens. Then let's wrap it all up with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to BabyBot716. Big thanks and big shout out to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. If you are not already supporting the show and you would like to learn how to do so, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there on the screen. And of course there is a link in the show notes and in the video description to make it nice and easy for all of my friends to support the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the iRedirect holiday sale is live on iRedirect.com. If you're looking for packs and looking for deals, now is the time to hit iRedirect.com. That sale will go through the end of the year. Of course, if you are a contributor on Patreon, you did get a coupon code. And of course, if you're signed up to the newsletter, you also got a coupon code and a mail. Chimp newsletter. So now is the time, ladies and gentlemen. Hit up iredirect.com, blow that website for the end of the year inventory reduction sale, clean out my office, clean out the stash. Get some good beans while they're still available all right i don't want to ramble too much here at the top of the podcast i do want to talk about selecting male plants for breeding we may also touch a little bit about on selecting plants for reversals which is when i take a female plant treat it with a solution that does make it make pollen that pollen of course only makes female seeds we may touch a little bit about on how i select a plant for that let's jump right into it how do i select plants for breeding Let's talk about breeding. One thing I'm going to say a lot here, is have a goal when it comes to breeding. If you don't have a goal when it comes to breeding, you're just pollen chucking. You wouldn't go into the kitchen without some sort of goal and just pour a bunch of shit in a bowl and mix it up and hope that it tastes good. That's kind of the same thing if you just put plants in a room and just throw plants in there and let them do the thing. You have no goal, no idea, no path. That's just pollen chucking. You're doing the same thing with the plants. You may make some good shit, but also who knows, you may not make some good shit. Put some thought into it. Have a strategy Have a plan. Have a goal. Write down that goal. If you don't have a clear target, how do you know if you're hitting that target? If I'm saying I want to hit that dot right there on the wall with the ball and I throw the ball, I know I hit it. If I throw the ball and it goes way over there, I know I need to adjust and come this way. Then I can hit my goal. Do the same thing with your breeding project. Write down a goal, write down a target, see how close you get, be real with yourself and then adjust from there. So the first thing I'm going to recommend in any any breeding project, in almost any project in life and anything you're working on before you get started, have a goal and a desired outcome and know what you're getting into. The next thing I'm going to talk about understanding when it comes to breeding is learn about Mendel charts. Understand what Gregor Mendel was trying to teach us. There's a lot of good information in Mendel charts. All you have to do is Google Mendel chart or Gregor Mendel. A lot of info will come up. We may do an episode here on this podcast, but there are plenty of videos about Mendel charts out there. Mendel charts will help you far in your breeding. They will help you predict the outcome of your breeding projects. They'll help you see if you're going to reproduce something that's already been done, they'll help you isolate traits you're looking for. When it comes to line breeding in the future, Mendel charts will definitely help you predict the outcome and anticipate outcomes of your breeding projects. You'll have to learn about dominant and recessive traits. You'll learn about co-dominant traits. You will learn a lot through Mendel charts and through the practice of breeding. It will all make sense once you put it into practice. So learn about Mendel charts, learn about dominant, co-dominant and recessive traits, understand alleles and how alleles are expressed and passed through plants. Then learn which alleles you are looking for in your breeding project. By this point, you've got a good understanding of what you want to create and how to go about creating it. One thing I wanna touch on is select your plants by plant appearance and plant traits. Don't select your plants based on names. We're not breeding names. Just because two plants have cool names, and if you put those two names together, you get an even cooler name, that does not mean that those plants need to be bred with. We're not breeding names. We're not breeding for social media pictures. We are breeding biological material, which has to work well in a breeding project with good results. So focus your breeding more on the things you see from the plants, the things you observe and enjoy more than the hype and the name and things like that. Then you will have much better success in your breeding project. So learn about Mendel charts. Understand what Gregor Mendel was teaching us. Then learn about dominant and co-dominant and recessive traits. Learn about how those traits are passed from plant to plant. Understand as much as you can biologically about these plants which we are going to breed with. Then here's another huge piece of advice. Once you understand the Mendel charts, the traits, the dominant, the co-dominant, the recessive traits, how these things meld together when we are breeding, once you understand that, forget all of that and breed with love, breed with passion and grow from your heart. Once you understand all of this stuff, you'll be able to look at two plants and go, oh, you and you, I should breed you two together because you've got these traits and you've got these traits and I see magic. You'll learn it, you'll start to feel it. I understand a lot about music. I understand I can count time, I can read and write music, I understand polyrhythms, compound time, I can play with the band very well. I, I know a lot about music, when I get on stage, I do not think about any of my musical education. I play with groove. I play with funk. I play with my heart. I make sure that I'm matching up with the bass player. I'm making sure that I'm using dynamics when people are singing. I don't think about counting time. I know all of that stuff is in me because I've got a solid education about music. And when it comes time to perform, my intuition and my heart take over and I can do it instinctually. If you build a solid education with these plants and a solid education about breeding, You'll be able to grow and breed the same way. You'll just look at plants and you'll know, you'll feel it. They'll tell you. If you listen, the plants are already telling you everything you need to know. So learn about those Mendel charts. Learn about your co-dominant. Learn about your dominant recessive traits. Learn about how pollen works. Uh, There's a lot of things to read about pollen. Then once you understand that stuff, write down a goal. Then just breed with love and grow from your heart. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about actually selecting a male plant to pollinate these ladies with. I generally like to start with a male plant that is way different than the targeted female plants, which I like to pollinate. So my example would be, uh, let's just go with my making of a rise. A rise is a golden goat, female plant pollinated by a daybreaker, male plant. That cross was such a huge success that I chose a male from that to base much of my seed line on for the future. That is my King Solomon male. He came from that batch of seeds. Let's talk about why I chose to breed those together. The golden goat. Is what we like to call a sativa dominant looking plant. I know the terminology and the words are changing every day in this industry, but we used to call that a sativa plant. It's got longer, skinnier leaves. When you smoke it, you get like a crazy head buzz that makes you kind of psychedelic and freaked out a little bit. It grows taller. It grows skinnier. The daybreaker was the complete opposite. It put out giant, wide, long droopy leaves. You could build a carport with these leaves. You could cover the entire house with just a couple of these leaves and build a shade canopy. It also grew a little bit stretchy, kind of lanky, the complete opposite of the golden goat, which would get tall, but it would keep tighter internode spaces and more, uh, more of a compact structure where that daybreaker would get a little lanky, a little bit stretchy, have some more space in the nodes, more like that OG Kush sort of a thing. So when I bred them together, there was a lot of room in the middle there for them to meet. Then I also could see what the daybreaker male was doing to the female. So I like to use a male plant that is way different from my female plants. That way I've got opportunity to make new shit. One way to describe it is if I'm trying to make new stuff, I wouldn't pour chocolate and more chocolate in a bowl because guess what I'm going to get? Chocolate. I'm going to put some chocolate, maybe some banana in there and get some chocolate banana. Maybe put chocolate and strawberry in the other and get some strawberry banana chocolate. Do things like that. Get creative. So I want to do things that are way different, not two plants that are super similar in genetic variety. Now let's focus in on some of these specific traits that I do look for in a male plant. Things that are really important to me are plant shape and size and structure. What is this plant shaped like? Keep this in mind when you were picking a male plant that is going to be 50% of the outcome of your offspring. So do you want these, uh, your seeds? Do you want them to make tall, skinny plants, short squat plants? Do you want short inner node spacing? Do you want longer node spacing? Do you want plants that branch out real far? Do you want plants that stay in kind of skinny? Do you want them to grow real tall or stay kind of squat? You can kind of set yourself up for this by selecting a male plant that has these traits that you are looking for. This is when you start making those decisions. So plant shape, plant structure, plant size, plant sturdiness? Are the branches of your male plant nice and sturdy, or are they all weak and wispy and shitty? Because if you breed with that weak, wispy, shitty male, guess what you're going to have the opportunity for? Weak, wispy, shitty offspring. So keep that in mind. Something I think about is amount of branching. Does it make a lot of lateral branching? Does it keep going straight up? How does this plant branch? Once the branches come out, do they make more branches? Do those branches make a lot of shoots? Is that the structure I'm looking for? that is something i keep in mind when selecting a male plant i mentioned this a moment ago internode spacing so you've got your main stalk coming up the middle of the plant you got branches coming off of there how far apart are those main branches coming off the stalk that is internodal spacing sometimes they'll be a half an inch apart sometimes they'll be 4 or 5 inches apart If you're getting some older tropical shit, maybe some Golden Goat crosses, they'll be really close together. The Jack the Ripper stuff might be close together. Some of the OG Kush crosses, the presidential Kush, there's going to be some space between there what do you need if you're growing in a place with high humidity you may want some more space in there so you don't get big chunky buds that get a lot of room for humidity if you're in a tropical place that might help you out if you're in a colder drier area you might be able to handle bigger nugs with more density they're not going to get the humidity in there it's all about what you're breeding for what your goal is how much internode node spacing do you want? Also, flower clusters are very important when it comes to selecting a male plant. Look at that big flower cluster. Do you get one big top? Do you get a bunch of flowers everywhere? That's going to show you what your male plant, what your offspring is going to do. Let's talk about leaf shape. Leaf shape is a big indicator of things, in my opinion. Leaf shape is kind of how I decide how long a plant is going to take to flower uh, for the first time that I run it. If it's got big, wide, broad leaves, you know it's not gonna take you more than 70 days most of the time. If it's got those long, skinny, tropical leaves, that's probably a 70, 77 day, maybe even more uh, on the flowering side of the plant scale. So leaf shape, what size of leaves are you looking for? Do you like those long, skinny leaves? Do you like big, fat leaves? What kind of product are you looking for? This is going to play heavily this leaf shape and size is going to transfer into your offspring. Then what about amount of leaves? I don't like too many leaves on my plants. I don't want to trim all day, every day, but I need enough leaves for production and photosynthesis. So amount of leaves, if that male plant is just banging out tons and tons of leaf and not a lot of bud structure, not a a lot of uh, flower cluster, not building strong stems and not being even with its energy distribution, I may not choose that male plant to go into my garden. If it's super duper leafy, I don't want to spend a bunch of energy on leaves and trimming a bunch of leaves in my flower product let's talk about something super important flower time. How long did it take for that male plant to start giving you sufficient amounts of pollen? How long does it take for that male plant to flower out and make a big giant fat male cluster? Let your male plants go. I let mine go for like eight or nine weeks, maybe 10 weeks. The first time I run them to see what they're going to give me. So keep an eye on that flowering time. How long until they started giving you pollen? How long does that male plant continue to give you pollen? then how big did that main top get? How big do those side buds get? Pay attention to the flowering time and how long it does continue to flower. Also while it's flowering, pay attention to how tall it gets. Does it have a big stretch time? Did it do anything crazy during that flowering phase? Note that because that is going to correlate to your offspring. Now here's when we get into some of the fun, more obvious parts. Are there any colors, flavors, aromas, or visual appearances or uh, other senses that you can use to detect obvious things? Does it smell good? Does it smell bad? I like a male plant. This is a weird thing that I'm going to share with you, a weird piece of advice. I like a male plant that if I give it a stem rub, if it kind of smells like vomit or bar trash can, that's a keeper. That plant is going to be very good for breeding. In my opinion, I really do like that. So look for things like colors, aromas, flavors, Most people don't smoke the males. Uh, There is one old school breeder out there who will shake the pollen off, dry them and smoke them. I don't do that. If you want to do that, that is up to you. You're a better man than me. Another thing we definitely need to pay attention to is problems and resistance to problems in the grow. How does this male plant react to overfeeding? How does it react to underfeeding? If these plants are little pussies, guess what? You're going to breed little pussy plants. We want plants that can handle a little bit of abuse. We're going to put these plants in grow rooms where things may go wrong. So we don't want 100% sissy plants. We need some kind of robust resistant plants. So how do they handle handle overfeed? How do they handle underfeed? How do they handle over or underwater? Can they take a little bit of a drought? Can they get drowned a little bit? I make seeds for commercial, uh, for commercial production and for retail sales. So if those seeds can't take some abuse, some of my retail customers may murder the seeds and I wouldn't have a good, uh, successful company. So I've got to breed with things that can take a little bit of abuse. How about resistance to pathogens? Did you get any powdery mildew in that grow? Did you have any bud rot? How did those male plants deal with that? How about bugs? Did you get any spider mites in there? Did you get thrips or fungus gnats? Did those bugs go toward your male plant? If those bugs and pathogens did go near that male plant, how did that plant take it? We want to breed with plants that can handle problems very well because, like I keep saying, that is going to pass into your offspring. All right, we've talked about the traits I'm looking for. Now, let's talk more specifically about how to find these male plants, which we are looking for, for breeding. Of course, the starting point is to pop some seeds. However many seeds you've got, however many you can run. I don't know the legalities in your area. I don't know how much space you've got. But grow as many seeds as you can is my recommendation. Uh, I like to run at least one, maybe two or three packs of seeds to find a male plant. If you've only got one, you will find a keeper in there. I always say that you will find a keeper in every 10 pack of my seeds, which means you will also find a good male in there. Uh, But of course, the more numbers you've got, the merrier, the more opportunity to find that outlier, that amazing stud male. That's how I found King Solomon. Anyway, step one is to get some seeds and germinate them, get them growing, uh, then identify the males and the females obviously is going to be our next step. If you want to run the females in another room, do that. That's a whole other conversation. That's another podcast in this episode. We're going to focus on the boys. So we've germinated some seeds. We have identified the boys and girls. We're going to move the boys to another room. And that's what we're going to focus on for now. Before we get too far, let me recommend that if you do want to repeat this process, I recommend getting clones from these plants as soon as you can and before we go into flower. It is a little bit more challenging to reveg a male plant than it is a female plant in my opinion. In my experience, it is harder to reveg the boys than it is the girls, so I would recommend you get clones before we do go into flower with these male plants. So at this point, we have separated our males and females. We've gotten clones. Now we are going to put these plants into flower. When it comes to selecting a male plant, I generally do not choose the male plant that shows flower very first as a breeding candidate. Sometimes, So let's say, let me start with 10 seeds. Let's say I started with 10 seeds. A lot of you are going to start with 10 will germinate 10 seeds. Out of those 10, we're going to find probably five males, five females. That's usually the way nature works, about 50, 50, 50%. Sometimes you're going to see 60, 40. Let's work with what we get. We're going to pull the females aside. Let's say at this point, we've got approximately five male seedlings to work with here. I'm going to put them into, I'm going to get clones, like I mentioned, and then I'm going to put them into flower. Once they're into flower, they're going to begin to show me the sex. From those five, I will not choose the first or probably even the second plant to show me that it is a male for my breeding male. The reason behind this is I find that that male is probably usually most commonly going to dominate my crosses of everything that I make. So what I'm saying is, uh, let's just say that that male is chocolate. Like I used earlier, I use chocolate as an example. If I use that chocolate, everything I pollinate with that chocolate is going to be dominantly chocolate even if i cross it to like i said earlier strawberries bananas uh whatever else i cross it to it's going to kind of be more chocolate with a little bananas more chocolate with a little strawberries so i choose not to use those first couple of males that show me that they're male because they're just going to dominate the cross it's going to be too much of them i don't want to just make copies of this male plant i want to make 50 50 crosses or somewhere near there and that's not going to do it so usually the first one or two plants that show me their males are not the candidates which i choose for breeding it's also usually not the last one it's usually the third or fourth male to show me that it is male that i choose for the breeding project here's a hint also Uh, Early in flower, most of the plants that are male are going to show you their boys because they'll stretch up above everybody else. They'll be the taller plants. Those males try to get taller so they could drop the pollen down on the ladies, which are down below them. So pay attention to that. That may give you a little bit of heads up, something to look for. All right, so I don't choose that first guy to start showing pollen, to start shooting his load. Probably not the second guy. It's usually the third or the fourth plant that starts making pollen. And my reason is because I don't want that super dominant male, that early flower uh, with all that testosterone, all that male stuff going on. I don't need that going into the cross. So I generally choose that third or fourth male. It's usually not the fifth one out of a pack of 10. It's usually not the fifth. It's honestly generally the third or fourth. I'll choose the one with the shape, the structure, uh, the pollen time, the one that is closest to the traits I'm looking for between number three and four that'll be the one that I choose. So let's say we've made our selection. You've got to choose now. This is where it comes time for you to make that decision. This is the plant you're going to choose for your breeding project. Use your education, use my advice, use your intuition and choose that male plant that looks the best. The only thing that's going to go wrong if you choose the wrong one is you're going to have to go back and breed again. It's not a huge mistake. It's not a huge problem. It's fun. We get to do it again. If, especially if it's your first time, you get to see what you made. If it's awesome, fucking awesome. If it's not awesome, It's still going to be great. It just may not be fucking amazing. You made a bunch of seeds you get to grow and have fun with and you learned a lot. Then you get to go and do it again. But now the pressure's on. Now it is time for you to select that male plant. Do you want number three? Do you want number four? Make your decision. Now it's time for the fun part. Now we put the plants in the room. We time it perfectly so that those plants can give and receive pollen and then we can make seeds. Uh, it's easy to time up those plants the first time you put the male, you put the female in the room on the same day, you put them into flower and you watch. A lot of times I'll put the male in the flower room a little bit before the females. Sometimes I'll stagger the females into the rooms at different times. You will have to figure out when your male plant produces the most pollen and when your female plants are ready to receive that pollen. When those pistols are big and ripe, looking like dandelions, that's when they want the pollen. So The first time you do the cross, you can just put them in there at the same time. It will work. Then pay attention. When does the pollen happen? When does peak ripeness happen? Then you can adjust your schedule accordingly for future runs. The first run, you'll get plenty of seeds doing it just the natural way. So get your male plant, get your selected female plants, put them in the room and let the pollen happen. Some people will put that male plant in front of a fan, let that fan blow it around. Honestly, that male plant's gonna pop open those flowers and the pollen's gonna go moving around naturally. I've also seen people cut the top off and just shake that top around and pollinate everything. However you choose to do it, get that pollen all throughout that room, pollinate those females. Then it's really important to let those seeds finish. You can run my suggested light cycle of 18 on and six hours off, or you can do 12, 12. That is up to you. Both of those will work. The most important part is let the seeds finish. Then carefully harvest those seeds, get them out of your plants. That is a whole other podcast episode. I think I've done that episode before. Now, here comes the fun part. We get to grow out these seeds. Before we grow these, let's talk a little bit about why I like to pollinate multiple female plants with one male plant in a breeding run. The reason I do this is because now I can see what that male plant has contributed to the breeding project to multiple different females. So if I did... Let's just go back to my old chocolate analogy. Let's say I bred chocolate to banana. I bred chocolate to strawberry. And just for fun, we'll say that I bred chocolate to key lime. Now, if I just bred it to one, I could get an idea of what is happening in my project. I could say this one came out a lot of the chocolate traits and some of the strawberry traits. Maybe it's got the leaf shape of the chocolate and the tallness of the strawberry and 50, 50 chocolate and strawberry flavor. Now, I only have an idea of what the chocolate plant is passing. It's passing that leaf structure or whatever I attributed to the chocolate. I know it's doing that, but is that an anomaly? Is that what's going to happen commonly? Is that just one time? Is that a recessive or a dominant trait? So what I want to do is check with other female plants and see what traits. So I did uh, strawberry and right? I said banana. When I did the chocolate to banana, what was common with that strawberry cross? When I grew out the seeds from the strawberry and the banana cross, What do I see which is common? Do I see things coming from the male plant like leaf shape? Are there commonalities in the leaf shape, commonalities in structure? I know what the female plants look like when we flower them. Now I need to take those traits, identify the trait that came from the female, identify the trait that came from the male and learn what that male is passing. It's easier to do if I pollinate multiple females. So now I put it to strawberry, put it to banana. Let's see what happens when I crossed it to the key lime pie. How much of the key lime am I tasting? Am I seeing that big leaf shape? Am I seeing the skinny leaves? Where are the commonalities? If in all of those crosses, I get like this weird diesel feel aroma that I didn't know about, that's probably coming from the chocolate. If they all have different flavors, that's coming from the mother plant, probably that flavor trait didn't get passed so that's how we learn what the male plant is going to do in our crosses is by hitting multiple females with it growing out those seeds taking notes and observing traits and then attributing oh those traits go to the male plant those traits go to the female plants and then find the commonalities in those traits and that's probably what the male plant is delivering to that mix now here's something that's really going to throw you off you're going to see shit that isn't in the male plant or the female plant those are going to be traits that came from the grandparents. So maybe that male plant didn't show you that it had something going on in it. Maybe it didn't show you that it'll put out red leaves at week seven. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe that came from the purple tie plant, that it was his mom or something. So the mom of the male plant put out red plants at weeks, or red leaves at week seven. We didn't know that. We didn't see that in the male plant. But now it popped up in the offspring. So that was a recessive trait that we didn't find until we bred that came from a grandparent. You're going to see things like that in your breeding projects. So I like to know uh, if I'm using plant A and plant B, I like to know the parents of plant A and plant B. Uh, And even further, sometimes I like to know their parents. So you're doing like four and then two and then one on the family tree. I like to know that much info. Uh, That'll help me identify recessive traits, dominant, co-dominant traits. Helps me a little bit with my predictions in my Mendel charts. Uh, Just helps me to know. Uh, And then also Helps me not do too much inbreeding and double crossing, over crossing, back crossing on accident, which I do on purpose sometimes, but I don't want to do it too much on accident because like I said before, I have the best success when things are more different. If you cross OG to OG, you just get fucking OG if you cross um, uh, not OG. Let's see something way different. I'm just going to say strawberries to lemons. You can really tell you get strawberry lemons. You could tell those different flavors together. If you put gas and candy together, you could can tell candy gas. If you put gas and gas together, what, what you can just make more gas? It's hard to tell what you're making. All right. Let me keep going here. Um, cause I do want to touch on how I, that is basically how I select a male plant for breeding. It's got to have Uh, specific traits, which I am looking for, for the breeding project. It's got to have the leaf shape, the leaf size, structure, flavor, aroma, uh, bug resistance, pathogen resistance. It's got to have all of that stuff. It's got to make the right amount of pollen at the right time. Uh, Probably not the first or second male to show me that it is the male in the bunch. And then the only way to verify that is to pollinate, pollinate multiple plants, then grow those seeds out see what you have created. Look for those traits that come from the male plant, like I've said, then attribute those to the male plant. And then that's how you know what that male plant is contributing to your breeding project. That's how I select a male. That is exactly how I do it. Um, There's no uh, magic or no voodoo. I use uh, intention and I have a goal and I use my intuition and my education to find a male that I think will reach my goal. Again, the most important part is a goal. Now I do want to touch on how I select a female plant, that I do want to reverse to create pollen to use for a feminized seed run. Uh, It's very similar to the way that I select a male plant for breeding. Uh, The plant has to be what I call a perfect ten. I don't know in your criteria what plant is a perfect 10 It's got to have flavor, aroma, buzz, the right effects. If it's a medicinal effect or a recreational effect, it's gotta have the effects I'm after. Uh, It's gotta have the right height. The right shape, the right structure, the right flowering time. Then, some of the more important stuff that we overlook, it's got to have pest resistance. I don't need a plant that waves, hey, 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 to spider mites. I need a plant that goes, hey, spider mites, fuck off. There's some plants the spider mites won't even go near. I like those plants. Breed with those bad bitches. I like plants that are mold resistant. I've been sending seeds and plants all over the country lately, and I am starting to learn very well what plants do work well in certain parts of our country. So plants that are mold resistant are very sought after for breeding to sending those seeds to the each coast of the Northeast coast, the Northwest coast, both of them need very mold resistant plants. So find something that is mold resistant. If it's powdery mildew, if it's bud rot, any of the molds out there, find a plant that does not get that shit when you put it in that environment find plants that are drought resistant, find plants that can be over watered, A plant that can be drowned a little bit plants that can take abuse and stress plants that can take popping, twisting, lollipopping, defoliating. It needs to be able to take all of the shit that I'm going to throw at it. When it comes to reversing a plant, I need it to be a perfect 10 and I need it to have all the traits that I'm looking for in a male plant and even more. It's got to be even better than a male plant. Uh, Because the females, I can grow them, I can smoke them, I can turn them into concentrates, I can smoke them as flowers, I can see what I'm working with. So I already know what they're going to look like in the female form. So they have got to be super stellar. Uh, Let's talk about some examples. Super stellar, plants that were tens, golden goat. That's why I chose to reverse golden goat. That plant is a perfect ten. It grows well. It's got a killer buzz. It tastes amazing. And if if you get it going strong and you take care of it, that plant thrives. You almost can't mess it up. Uh, You could pee in it. You could kick it over. You can overfeed it, underfeed it. You could give it a drought. You could give it too much water. You can overheat it. You could freeze it. Golden goat's just going to keep on growing and produce badass flowers for you. So golden goat is a perfect 10 in my opinion. Another one that I found to be a perfect 10 and somebody else agreed with me, I've talked about why I reversed this one. The blueberry cookies that made the turtle line was a perfect, is a perfect 10. That plant tastes good. It grows well. It's got a killer buzz to it. It doesn't get problems. It grows with huge vigor. Ah, Like I said before, you could piss in it, and it will still keep on growing. So that's why I chose the blueberry cookies. And my third example, uh, the Grateful Dog. The Grateful Dog is a perfect fucking 10. That flavor, the aroma, the colors— that plant is a perfect 10. That's why I chose those plants as reversals. So use those as your standard, the grateful dog, the blueberry cookies and golden goat. Those are the kind of plants I would choose to reverse. So when you're looking for standards, looking for a metric, looking for something to compare it to, those are the ladies that I would choose that I did choose to reverse. So those are three of my favorite plants that I've ever worked with. Those are my three favorite reversals. There are more coming. I am working on some things I haven't shared with you yet, but so far the Golden Goat, the Blueberry Cookies, and the Grateful Dog have been my three favorite plants to reverse. All right, I think that is all I've got for you in my episode about selecting males and choosing a candidate for reversals. If you have any questions, corrections, comments, or concerns, you know I would love to hear from you. The email address is hotmail.com Don't be shy. Reach out I look forward to the constructive criticism, the positive feedback, or even the hate mail, if that's what you got to do. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Don't be shy. Let me hear it. Also, make sure you support the show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. Everybody supporting the show on Patreon did get a coupon code for the Christmas sale. Of course, that code was adjusted based on your Patreon contribution level. The 420 level got one code, and of course, the 710 and higher got another coupon code. So make sure you support the show on Patreon. If you do want access to the coupon codes, info on the drops, early access to the releases, I do recommend you sign up for the newsletter on the website, iRegenetics.com. At the bottom of the page, there's a little tab. It says keep in touch or join the newsletter. I don't remember exactly what it says. I don't stock my own website often enough, but if you go to the bottom, there's a spot you can type in your email address, type in your email address. That will add you to my newsletter. When I put out new drops, new holiday deals, Uh, cool shit that you may want to know about, you will get an update from my MailChimp newsletter. That is at irigenetics.com. Everything you need will be at irigenetics.com. There's a link to the seeds, a link to the merch, a link to the podcast, a link to the discord, the Patreon. It is all there, irigenetics.com. Well, I feel like I got rambly here at the end of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all I've got for you for this episode. I may be back next week, depending on the holiday schedule. Like I said, at the top of the show, If I don't pop up for a week, don't worry. Nothing bad happened. I'm catching my breath, enjoying some time with the family and the dogs and the holidays and the snow. I hope you have a great holiday, whichever one it is you choose to celebrate. I'll be back in a week or maybe two weeks. I want to give a big shout-out to my buddy Billy Podunk. And until next time, take a fat dab and give your mom a hug for me.